Well, Jody, thank you so much for joining me today. We're here in Toronto and you, you are, you know, leading a lot around the youth with RBC. And I'm so excited to learn more about what you do. And we're, we've got so many great things to talk about. But first, just tell us really quickly a little bit about yourself and your career. And yeah, we can go from there. Sure. Thanks so much for having me, Nate. Yeah, it's really fun to be here. I've been with RBC. Maybe I won't actually say how many years because that will <laughs> age me and put me right into the specific generation. But I've had a number of different careers and jobs with uh, with the bank. Previously, I was actually a financial planner. So I have this passion for financial planning and investing. I worked within our RBC Global Asset Management team for a little while, did a ton of public speaking, crisscrossed the country, doing like economic updates. Actually led a women in investing series, which That's was awesome. really cool talking to women specifically about kind of the unique financial opportunities and challenges that we face. Did a few other little things. And then now I, I head up our youth and young adult client segment team, client segment strategies team. My sister jokes, like asks whether I get paid by the word based on my title. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was but, a mouthful. Yeah, I know. I noticed is. when they when they were talking about it, I was like, oh, wow, that's like a, it's quite the title there. <laughs> it is. It's quite the title. But one of the cool things about actually working for a bank is that you can have a bunch of different careers in there. And you are a, what do you call yourself? A self-described finance? Creator. creator. Finance creator. No, but you said you were like a, like a enthusiast. nerd. Enthusiast. Yeah, enthusiast, yes. Okay. Nerd. nerd. Enthusiast, same thing. Same Sounds thing. good. Well, <laughs> I mean, enthusiast is probably a nicer way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, oh, I, I, I tell myself. people I'm a nerd. No, 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 <laughs> don't, worry, don't worry, don't <laughs> worry. Me too. So we have some, some like-mindedness there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's fantastic. And, you know, I can only imagine like, I mean, I'm, you know, 26 now and, you know, I still feel young, but I still feel like every year that passes, I'm just so far away from like the, the, the next gen, right? And with finance and some of the content that I make, I, I try to always connect with them and try to see where they're at. And I can imagine, you know, RBC and banks alike are trying to figure out that as well. And how, how are you guys sort of leading, leading that charge in terms of like helping, you know, young adults feel like they're more financially literate because I think that we saw a study there that there's like over 90% of young adults say that they don't feel like they're financially literate or there's a lot, they have a lot to learn, which mm -hmm. within reason, sure. But I think, I think the, I mean, 90% is an extremely high number for, to self-identify, to say, yeah, I don't know anything about money. So is that something you guys see in your work? And I'm curious, like how, what you guys are working on there. Yeah, definitely. It's a great question. And I think part of what I actually really like about this younger generation is that I believe that they are more self-aware. Yeah. And so they're willing to say, you know, I don't really know what I don't know, or I've got more to learn. I actually think there's probably a lot of people who are, you know, more established from a, an age perspective or in their careers who would be more confident than they actually should be. So I mm -hmm. love the fact that, you know, students and those who have, have just graduated are, are feeling that way. But it also means that there there is that much more for them to learn. And I think they're a more curious generation. They're really interested in in learning about all sorts of things and, and finances in particular. And so mm -hmm. I actually think it's awesome that individuals like yourself are doing really interesting things in terms of helping to to build up that financial literacy mm -hmm. and why it's important that for RBC, where I think we have a fiduciary responsibility as as, as Canada's biggest bank to, to really lean into that and to support a lot. One of the cool things that we actually did was we partnered with McGill University and we built out a, a free course. I took that. I yeah, took that. Yeah. It's, <laughs> and, and it's not just for people who are you know newly graduates or just starting out in their career. I think it's really relevant for, for everybody. Mm -hmm. But I think that, that first step is kind of identifying what you know and what you don't know and then seeking out information and, and also being able to weed through the 
the misinformation that yeah. exists out there too. Yeah, I, I mean the misinformation that's crazy, especially with what I do, and I I, I see a lot of it out there. Yes, and I, I'm sure you guys have to swim through that as well, yes. and you have you know folks come in and, and you kind of have to re-educate them a little bit. You know, I, I'm curious, like from your guys' perspective, because for me, I feel like, you know, Gen Z and, and young millennials are very, you know, interested in learning about money. And there seems to be this reinvigorated sort of passion around it. I mean, you think about like the whole Robin Hood thing and yeah. the investing thing. And, you know, even with my content, I've got like 15 year olds, 16 year olds asking how to become a millionaire. And it, it just seems like there's sort of this interest probably because of social media and the internet, mm -hmm. their favorite influencers, riding in Lamborghinis, things like that. Are, are you guys finding compared to maybe past generations based on some studies? I know we read some of that stuff as well. Do you think that they're a lot more financially curious now than they were in past generations or it's more so just being observed in a different way because of social media? I bet you it's a combination of yeah. the two. We have done a fair bit of research that will show that the younger, like so younger millennials and Gen Z are investing earlier, mm -hmm. I think, than their you know, slightly older generations. And they, they are more interested. They seek out the information. But you're right. I sometimes have panics when I'm like, oh my gosh, please, <laughs> please go to some something more credible. Yeah. And I think that 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 term credible is sort of in the eye of the beholder as well, yeah. right? There's yeah. some, you know, need to to really trust where you're getting your sources from and and I know that that Gen Z has different avenues that they go for. Yeah. I mean, we have a a student hub on our website that's got a ton of information on there and can, you know, links out to to different, you know, areas of of importance at that age. So for example, RBC Direct Investing, which is our online discount brokerage, they have a practice account, which yeah. is super cool. Yes. Because it it helps people build up that confidence and understand like how do I use this platform? And if I'm new to self-directed investing, how am I actually, you know, I can I can play around with sort of virtual fake money and understand how it all works before yeah. actually diving into it. Yeah. You know, I, I really have seen a shift from RBC from the sort of incumbents. I've seen, you know, RBC in particular really update their platform and, and really make it a lot more simple because before it was like, not only, but strictly like web-based, you'd have to log in. It's a lot harder. You've got to find a specific ticker. you got to manage your own stuff. And even some of the products that I know, and maybe we can't get in specific investment <laughs> stuff or whatever, of course, but I've noticed that a lot of the products, the commission fees have come down, more indexed products as well, really targeting you know younger generation just being able to like buy and hold for the long term and things like that and, and not have to necessarily go to an advisor if they don't want to they could do it in a responsible way themselves but also have I've seen that they've improved the financial advising arms as well to help the younger generation so I'd love to like just kind of like your take on all sure. of that yeah yeah I mean I think probably the first and foremost thing that anybody, I mean, not just a younger investor, but anyone needs to figure out is how do they want to approach their investing? And it doesn't have to be one way, right? Because it could be, I'm going to approach it in different ways for different types of goals. But for example, and you listed off some of those, do I want to be entirely self-directed? Do I want to leverage the expertise of an advisor? Do I want to do something that might be in between, something like a robo where, you know, you're, investments are rebalanced after a period of time based on what your investor and risk profile is. And as I said, it could be a combination of those depending on maybe the type of account that you're talking about. Like, are we talking RSP here and this is long-term? Mm -hmm. Are we talking about first home savers account and which is brand new and something that's maybe going to be in the next, you know, five to 10, 15 years. 
And how, how much time do you have to dedicate? How much interest do you have? And how much are you willing to actually dig into it on your own? Mm -hmm. And then from there, you can figure out, all right, well, what is the right approach for me? You got another part of your question that I'm forgetting though. I guess how financial advisors, how are mm -hmm. they like, how have they updated the way they work with clients, uh, especially younger clients? Is there been any evolution in terms of, you know, kind of like their strategies and things like that, maybe working with them a bit more? Is there, I'm, I'm just curious if there's sort of more an interactive approach perhaps? Yeah, you know, it's been really interesting because part of the world that I live in, we do a lot of research too. And so I think that we have, we being the broader you know, population kind of have this perception that younger people don't want any advice and they mm -hmm. want to be strictly 100% digital and just do it on their own. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's true to an extent or for some areas of their finance. But even we did a poll and I think that's what kind of started off yeah. this conversation yeah. is that, and I'll go to sideways for a sec here. Please, please, yeah. We, we pulled off this study, pulled up this study that we had done back in 2013. And we said, hey, it would be pretty cool to ask many of the same questions again, 10 years later and see what's changed. Mm -hmm. And we actually found that more of this, you know, younger generation, post-secondary students or recent grads are actually looking to a financial advisor than they would have 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. Now, at the same time, more also talking to their friends. I think the same amount, around 70% are still leveraging their parents. More are looking to social media, partly because social media didn't really exist to the yeah. extent that it did 10 years right. ago. But I think it, it kind of depends on where individuals are at and what they're looking for. And so in a lot of the studies, we've said, you know, for specific types of bigger more complex needs how are you how are you wanting to engage in you know either advice that you need or going down the the route so things like getting a mortgage starting to invest for the first time maybe from a tax perspective like the ability to actually sit down with someone for some of those bigger more complex needs more and more younger people are saying yeah, actually I, I would like to do that and also, I kind of want to have some independence on the side too. Absolutely. I, I think it's a blend. I don't necessarily think, you know, especially with something like, you know, all your money. Yeah. <laughs> you should be completely hands off. I mean, up to a certain point, let the experts do what they will and, and they're there for a reason. But I do think having a watchful eye on it and, and being mindful because, again, of course, advisors have a fiduciary duty to make sure that they're doing what, what's in your best interest. Absolutely. But at the end of the day, you got to make sure that everything's good for you. I, I love that interactive approach. You know, you mentioned home ownership and that's just one of the things that was yes. a hot button issue in the report as well. I think a lot of young Canadians are pushing back when they're looking for a home. A lot of them have some sort of, unfortunately, sort of like a dismal view of the, mm -hmm. the real estate market in terms of hopes and when they'll be able to get in. So I'm just curious if you wanted to go over some of those stats that you guys found around, I guess, Gen Z's sort of like opinion about it and what yeah. your tips might be for them to, you know, give, maybe give them some optimism. For sure. And I know you did a podcast on sort of the whole like younger Canadians don't try to focus too early on build, yeah. on like getting into yes. home ownership yeah. because yeah. You, you do have this keeping up with the Joneses type yeah. of, of mentality. And I think that's, that's human nature to an extent, but I think people can get really caught up in that. And so I was just looking at, at my notes specifically because we did in this poll, we wanted to find out a, like how interested are, you know, younger individuals in terms of actually still home ownership? Is that still a goal? Mm -hmm. And then B, what's the time horizon on it? And so when we compare back to 2013, so again, 10 years ago, more students and post-secondary students indicate they plan to buy a home after they graduate. So it's 83% in 2023 versus only 74% 
2013. So about a 10 point difference, mm-hmm. but they'll be delaying that purchase for five years or longer. Mm-hmm. And so they're kind of recognizing that, hey, this is more of a, a longer term goal for me. It's not something I'm gonna be able to do, you know, in the next few years after I, I graduate. And we think back to like what our parents may have been able to, to accomplish. But I think what's so important is, all right, so I'm gonna delay that goal. We've got much higher interest rates, inflation, cost of living, depending on where you live, you know, the, the actual condos, homes themselves have appreciated in value so much over mm-hmm. the last you know, decade or so that, that I can see how that's sort of a, a daunting task. Yeah. I think one of the key things though is people need to start planning for that now. So it doesn't mean, all right, maybe I'm living at home for a little bit longer. Now I get to just go and spend that extra money that I'm not spending yeah. on rent, or not spending on a mortgage, but like, let me actually put it to work yeah. and have it work for you. Yeah. I think it's, it's one of those things where it's just like, yeah, it's going to absolutely take longer, especially in this environment. I mean, you know, you have things like the stress test where I think right now, I think it, you get modeled at like a 10% interest rate in terms of mortgage affordability. And it's quite tough. I was actually using some of the RBC like mortgage calculator and, oh, and yeah. I was like, oh, <laughs> like you know, it's kind of crazy. But you mentioned, you know, you mentioned that young young folks might be delaying actually moving out. Is that, yes. I know I also saw that in the study as well. Uh, do you think that's a trend that's here to stay in terms of just kind of living at home for a lot longer because of that, you know, lack of uh, housing affordability, rents are, you know, being so high, you know, and, and also potentially limiting their post-secondary, you know, moving out. I think I saw mm-hmm. that people choosing to go to school abroad or not, maybe not abroad, you know, far from home, uh, has actually decreased since 2013. So uh, I'm curious like on that trend and if you think it's something that's sort of going to increase or here to stay. Yeah, I think so because, and, and in terms of whether it's going to increase or here to stay, I think it's probably going to be here for a while longer. I don't see there being much near-term decline in terms of you know, university tuition. In fact, I know some universities have recently increased their tuition for out of province. Yeah. So I I, I do think that that is it's like a disincentive. Like <laughs> totally. And, yeah. and and then you add on the the cost of living, rent, everything that kind of goes with with that off campus living. That I, I think that that's why so many more post secondary students are still either living at home or choosing schools that will enable them to to live at home, maybe they're even delaying a little bit to, to save up more. But yes, in terms of just statistically, or I shouldn't actually call it a stat because it's based on a poll, but based on that poll, about half in, in 2023 indicated they'd be living with their parents this school year compared to only about a third 10 years ago. Yeah. So that's a pretty big jump. Yeah. And then even after school, you know, moving home and being able to save and sock away money more, whether that's because you're wanting to kind of have some of that more of that life experience, like Gen Z's love their their experiences, yeah, yeah. and or to save for uh, you know a home. Yeah. Do you think there's any second or third order effects for Gen Z from a career perspective? Because you know, I, I think about I think about my university experience. Right. I went to Western. It's far enough away from yeah. here to where I could leave, but it's also like a, a stone's throw away. I could get back quite quickly. Mm-hmm. It was like the Goldilocks sort of length. I felt like I got so much out of that. And I, I think Miles over here is at, goes to Mac right now and he's, he's living at home, so I'll watch what I say. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I think it was such a formative experience for me just as a young adult. And then, you know, I, I, I wasn't like, you know, a lot of the 
people around my age went to the big city or went to New York mm. or went to wherever for, for work. I genuinely think that this trend, maybe it's, I, I encourage people to stay home for, you know, take advantage of it, whatever, absolutely. Do you think that it's going to maybe hinder their 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 career potential, perhaps, that maybe it's a lot less affordable to to go work somewhere else, or perhaps there's there's less like, I guess, movement post-university or something like that? It's kind of hard to predict, but I'm just curious what your thoughts are. It's a good question. I mean, I went to McGill, so I... I know the same thing that you're referring to, yeah. but then at the same time, I also moved back home after yeah. I graduated. Yeah, yeah, fair, right? fair, fair. So I feel like yeah. I kind of did, did a bit of both. I, I think you know, it'd be interesting to see whether maybe the opposite is maybe true in some in some Canadian cities where mm. it's it is becoming that much more expensive and affordability is a is a real struggle. Like we're sitting here in in Toronto, and obviously there's that's a <laughs> A hot topic. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure it's a hot topic amongst your your peers. It's a hot topic amongst my peers. Oh yeah. So do they actually leave where they were in search of of more affordable options? Like you might even have a different type of of, of migration yeah. that happens. But you know, I believe that people will seek out the opportunity for experiences in ways that work for for them, and and I think it's important to recognize that that might be changing as a result of affordability. Yeah. Do you now just on the topic of, of housing, and I know we get stuck on it, Canadians housing, it's yes, like the thing, it right? Is. It's like weather. But you know what? We gotta talk about it. Like what is your opinion around, you know, home ownership as an investment? Because a lot of people treat home ownership as this investment. You know, you think mm -hmm. about somebody who bought their home for pocket lint and three cents in the seventies. Yes. And now it's worth, you know, 1.5 million or whatever, right? You, yeah. everybody, everyone's got a story. Everybody's got a story. Yes. The animal spirits come out, everything like that. But you know, I, I, I think there's a lot of things that are missed with, with that. Like, you know, the property taxes, the a new roof, sure. this yes. insurance, everything like that. So I, I'm curious what, what you think. And, and I guess just at large, like is, is a home ownership a, a real investment or th should people be thinking a bit more critically and maybe not demonizing rent so much? I totally think that people should not be demonizing rent so much. <laughs> and I also think it's really important that they do the math that you're referring to mm -hmm. because it's not just, what did you say? Pocket lint and, and, and three, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like, like nothing, it, nothing, right? Yeah, so yeah. it's not just the 1.5 minus the pocket lint and oh, that's, yeah, what my, yeah. that's what my like my return was. Yes, It is, it's all those other costs that that factor into it. Mm -hmm. And and people often forget about that, right? Whether it could be the mortgage interest costs, it's the realtor commissions, land transfer taxes, all of those other Crazy. things that add up. And so what I would say is, you know, figure out like the whole budget and understanding what comes in, what goes out, and really taking the time to allocate it accordingly, but then also having that plan Right. And like thinking about, well, what is important to you? Because for some people, home ownership will be a number one priority. Mm -hmm. And that's something that they really value and covet and fabulous. Yeah. Do that, but do the math associated with it. You know, don't stretch yourself to the point that you're house poor and you can't do all the other things that you want to be able to do. Mm -hmm. And then on the flip side, if that's not something that's in the cards, maybe ever or maybe near term, then you need to understand. Okay, are we going to talk about retirement? I feel like that's a like a a, a bad word when yeah, you're yeah, in yeah. your twenties. Yeah, but you have to then think about all right. If I'm not going to have this investment of property, then I'm going to need to be saving and investing 
more and I'm gonna need to understand what my enough number is. Yeah. Right. When you think about sort of the principles of successful investing, yeah. One of the key principles I always talk about is investing enough. And people will say, well, what's enough? And then, well, that enough number is gonna be different for all of us. Mm-hmm. And so you have to figure out, well, what is that enough number for you? And it's going to be different if home ownership as an investment and as something that you were planning to sell, you know, decades down the road is not in the cards. Yeah. So yeah, I think it's kind of not jumping in or thinking that there's only one route yeah. to success. I guess, do you have any sort of career advice for, for young Canadians who are starting to put away some money and they're thinking about their career and is career mobility increasing among young professionals? I, I think the study was a little bit for, on the younger side, but I'm not sure if it went into that young professional realm. Have you guys done any polls around is career mobility, you know, increasing? Because you, cer- I certainly feel like job hopping and mm-hmm. not staying at a job for 40 years and, you know, putting in your, your dues and things like that. I think that, that that's something that's sort of decreasing and a lot more, you're seeing a lot more mobility, yep. especially in the corporate world. So curious if you guys are seeing that among, among the younger generation and aspirations for here for two or three years, job hop, increase your salary, et cetera. I'm just curious about that. Yeah, it's a great question. Certainly we see side hustles. Side hustles, yeah. Yes, like that's a that's a big one, which is really interesting. And I think there's more opportunities for people to say, hey, I want to do something else or I really enjoy what I'm doing here. Maybe it's not enough from a total income perspective. What else can I do? What else am I interested in doing that can supplement that or that I just enjoy doing on the side? So we see a lot more of that. But I, I do think, you know, as every generation has gone down, there's been less of the... I'm going to stay in one company for a long time. That being said, there's some times when you could have multiple careers within a company or, you know, some people still do choose some jobs that, you know, you have, you're a professional and I'm going to do, I'm going to do something within my profession and maybe I'll just do navigate around, Mm -hmm. but I don't think there's any rules anymore. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And I don't believe there's like for someone who's done, I've done a lot of hiring my day, I've read a lot of resumes. I think there was probably a time when if you looked at a resume and there was like a new job or a new company every it's a couple negative of years, it'd be a negative thing. Yeah, I yeah. don't think that's the case anymore. Yeah. That being said, I think, you know, if 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 I'm putting my hiring hat on for a second and, and wanting to think about, you know, careers and and what what you know, working with different people, you want to be able to say, well, what what do you love and what are you passionate about? And tell me about why you may have moved into these different roles and context context, exactly and wanting to you know understand like well what did you get from each of those yeah and what kind of you know motivated you to to do that versus someone who's just antsy and gets bored really easily yeah yeah no no they're gonna be gone in two years i I certainly think like there's i mean there's still a reasonable amount it's like every six months it's like buddy come on like you know like you can't you know but you know every couple of years i think there's definitely it's been been a sort of shift there but i guess i'm curious like if i was if I was 18, mm-hmm. based on the study, based on what you guys are working on, like what are three like actionable tips you would have for me? Maybe not financial advice, you know, but some, <laughs> some, some actionable Ooh. tips you would, you would have uh, for me. All right, this is a good question. Yeah, take your time. All right, I mean, I think that figuring out what you like, which also, by the way, can involve figuring out what you don't like, mm-hmm. is a really important exercise. And so not just following the, okay, all my friends or are doing X, Y, or Z after university, I got to do the same. But like, what do you, what do you actually enjoy doing? Like what gets you going? What's, what makes you excited? And then finding something that 
can fulfill against that purpose. It sounds really cheesy, but but truly like actually yeah. thinking about what you enjoy doing and who you enjoy doing it with. Like what's not only what's the work, but the the how around it and the who around it from mm-hmm. like a career perspective. And speaking about career, it's like what are those what are those skills that you have and what are those skills that you might need in order to fulfill on whatever those objectives are. And those skills are probably a combination of like hard skills, soft skills. I don't like the term soft skills. I call them like power skills. Power skills. Right. I love that. So like communication, collaboration, curiosity, community, whatever, whatever else. There's a bunch of different power yeah. skills that you yeah. want to think about. Actually, Future Launch, RBC Future Launch, I don't know if you're familiar, is part of our, our foundation, does a ton of work in terms of of building skills and helping youth build up those skills for the future because the skills are changing at the end of the day. So, right. so really, I think from a skills perspective, figuring out what you want to do, maybe what you don't want to do, what are the skills you have already, and then where are those gaps and actually how to how to fill them. So that's sort of one. I think from a financial perspective, I'm going to sound like a big dork here, but I I don't know if I love the the five principles of successful investing, and and so I'll rhyme them off. So invest early invest regularly. So like setting up a pre-authorized contribution, invest enough. Remember I said earlier, figuring out what that enough is. Diversify. So not putting all of your eggs in one basket and then have a plan. So figuring out, you know, kind of what, how you can navigate around those successful investing tips. And then making sure that you're you're budgeting and managing your debt load efficiently and effectively. Mm-hmm. There's good debt, there's bad debt. So bad debt would be credit card debt, you know, not having credit card debt. That's <laughs> yeah. kind of, you know, that's a good one. But yeah, making sure yeah. that you're not starting off on those bad habits young because then they're really hard to kick later. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's so cool that you guys have some career building aspects around for the next gen to build yeah. those skills because I I talk about you know I think I think career and personal finance intertwines a lot because for a lot of people their career is how they make their money and you know if if you're not focused and you're not trying to upscale yourself you know over the years unfortunately your income won't upscale with you right yes. so I love that you guys are, are are working on that I guess my last sort of question around the study is is what are I guess some some trends in the future that you guys are maybe, you know, forecasting for or like see in the horizon, maybe it's just things that you you think might play out or things that might benefit Mm -hmm. the next gen. Maybe it's tech, maybe it's, I don't know. But I'm I'm just curious, like, what do you guys see as like next looking forward? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, technology for sure in terms of the just the evolution of it. And mm-hmm. I think it's moving at a, at a pace that none of us really can, can keep up with, <laughs> Absolutely, um, my, myself included. But I think personal financing or financial management and leveraging technology in order to, to support that. So whether that be, you know, being able to, to use insights to help you make better decisions or like within RBC, for example, we have Nomi Find and Save, which is part of our platform. Very kind familiar. Of, yeah, <laughs> so it goes in and it kind of picks and like finds, finds little pockets of, of money that's not being, being spent, kind of rounds up, maybe throws it into a savings account or insights. Like for me, it'll say, it looks like you've been charged you know, twice by X, are you sure that's yeah. true? Or, you know, you've got your your Netflix bill payment that's coming right, out. Right. So so I think leveraging technology and leveraging data in order to give personalized insights, personalized financial planning, personalized budget tools will will really help 
individuals to, to stay on track, to figure out what that plan is, as I mentioned, but then actually be able to, to stay on track with them. And I, I, I look forward to seeing how we continue to, to evolve in that space. I think that's such a no brainer because I'll be honest, I love external platforms. I love this and that. I love that it's now nice and in-house and I could just yeah. go to like one place and everything's taken care of. You know, I think it's interesting because a lot of, you know, banks and companies are, are working and trying to do more of a one-stop shop solution and RBC is doing a really good job of that. I don't know if you heard that like Mint with Intuit is shutting down. Yep. Big Mint user, you know, we used to use it all the time and it's sort of kind of like, oh, like a little bit of like, dang, that's, it's closing down. And I think, you know, just kind of riffing here, like, it's probably because a lot of the institutions are just doing a great enough job on their own now. You don't have to necessarily go externally. But I, I think that's mm -hmm. so fantastic uh, that you guys are, are building on that. And again, it seems like it's improving all the time. But I guess another question I had for you, Jody, was what are the sort of trends around debt that you're seeing? Obviously, student debt is a, is a hot topic among mm -hmm. the, you know Gen Z and everything like that. It's kind of like a daunting thing. You know, what are some of the trends that you're seeing with respect to you know managing debt? How much debt? you know, young Canadians are taking. I'm, I'm just curious where that's at. Yeah, it's a good question. It's interesting because that was one of the, the bigger findings when we look back at that 10-year um, gap in, in the polls that we did. So what we found is that more Canadians or younger Canadians are graduating with debt, but they expect to pay it off faster. Mm -hmm. And so I think part of that might be because they're they're living at home, they're prioritizing that debt repayment more so than they may have been in the past. But interestingly enough, they're not graduating with as much debt. And that might go back to what we were saying around, you know, not necessarily choosing a school that's gonna be more expensive. They're mm -hmm. like, how can I, how can I stay at home? How can I choose a an in-province university where my tuition might be lower? Mm -hmm. So more are graduating with debt. They're graduating with not as much debt, and so as a result, it takes them less or yeah, less time to to pay it off, and and probably because they've got a little bit more cash flow yeah. when they do start working, as that many more are living at home. Yeah, and I think another interesting thing to consider is when young Canadians are graduating with debt, the federal portion of their loan isn't accruing interest anymore, mm -hmm. which is a massive unlock in terms yeah. of budget affordability. Like, I mean. So, so they don't, as much as they, you know, they don't spend it and everything like that, but you know, it's interesting of large majority of, of a lot of Canadian student loans, like there's a, there's a federal portion and there's a provincial portion. Mm -hmm. A lot of the times the federal portion, as I'm sure you know, is a lot larger than the provincial yeah. portion. One interesting tip actually is that once you graduate and you start making repayments, you can actually, it's a sort of like convoluted way, but you can actually uh, write a check to the NSLSC uh, and say, hey, I want to put this directly to my provincial portion of my loan because that's the only mm. portion that's accruing interest. Pay that off, call it a couple hundred bucks or a thousand or whatever if you're able to do that. And then now you have the majority of your loan, but it's not accruing interest. So now inflation's eating away at that and you can take your time and you can make your payments and it can really free it up. So I always like to share that tip around student debt and things like that. So mixing those trends, I mean, between you're absolutely right. Like we talked about how people are staying home more. People are maybe not going out to BC if they're from Toronto, not going to Toronto if they're from BC, et cetera. Yeah. And then you mix in the the the, the lack of burden really on the, the repayment. I, I think that is like just so different than the United States, right? Like it's, oh I God. So I, I always like to to chat about that. Is there is there anything else, any sort of tailwinds that you're seeing as well around debts? Are you seeing young Canadians, are they better with credit card debt? Are they getting into credit card debt more, consumer debt, things like that? 
Uh, I don't think that they're getting into into credit card debt as much. I think that actually they're more debt averse or debt aware might be a better way of putting it. But they're also understanding and and if not great opportunity to remind people like the importance of building up good credit, building up and keeping good credit and understanding what the difference is between, you know, what we refer to as good debt or, or bad debt. And, and, and it probably goes without saying, but just as, again, as a reminder, you always got to pay off the highest interest rate debt first. Yeah, yeah. And in fact, the goal is to never have any credit yes. card debt ever. Yes, yes. And so prioritize that and, and make sure that you're not, you know, putting more on your credit card than you've got in your bank account to be able to pay it off, all yeah, that good absolutely. stuff. Make sure you're, you're you're taking advantage of whether it's a rewards, whether it's like a cashback, kind of whatever type of, of approach works best for you from that credit card perspective. Mm-hmm. Having a line of credit is a, a great way to continue to build up credit so long as you use it properly mm-hmm. and you use it responsibly, yes. right? So you might have as, you know, we're all humans, you might have a month or two where you actually do have a balance in your credit card using your line of credit to pay that off or pay off whatever balance you can't in that given month. Slices the interest in half. Exactly, and then and then you focus on that guy, right? So you yeah. kind of have to go accordingly. But I think that younger people probably sometimes underestimate the importance of building up good credit mm-hmm. because then when it comes time to getting that car loan or getting that mortgage, your rates are going to be based on your credit worthiness. Mm-hmm. So it's, yeah, like take the time to get educated and and don't feel like you need to have 14 credit cards in your wallet. Yeah. Um, yeah. And if someone's someone's offering you like a free t-shirt on campus, yeah. if you open up yeah. this, you know, whatever credit oh, card or, you know, at all the stores, like it's really, really think about what, uh, what you need. Yeah, I, I I think you know it's it's so easy to get caught in that trap, especially when you're young and you're, you know, as we talked about, you're learning, fi- you know, finance for the first time. You're maybe not as financial literate as you would like, and it's it's easy to fall into it. Like oh, free money, like no problem, right? It's it's so funny. I, I remember when I was younger, before I really got into this stuff. Like, I don't know. I just assumed as soon as you use a credit card, you just accrue interest. Like I just yes. when I was younger, I think a lot of people think that. Like as soon as you use it, it's debt. And you pay it off. And it's like. No. So it's like, no, 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 no. Like you get a grace period. Like if you pay within the grace period or on time, like you pay no interest. You just, you just absolutely, you know, get benefit from it. Right. Assuming that you're not overspending and things like that. I I also think it's, you know, paramount to understand that like, this is still your money, right? It's not the bank's money. Like you're eventually going to have to pay it back. Yes. And, And sure there's fraud protection and there's you know, consumer protection and there's insurance on credit cards and the Avian, the Infinite Avian, fantastic, awesome cards. You're going to have to pay that back. It's as good as cash to you, right? It's just, it's just, it's just enhanced. But I think that get that gets missed a lot of the time. And it's kind of just like, oh, it's free money. But I, I love that you guys are finding that young Canadians are a little bit more debt aware mm-hmm. um, because I think it's just such a slippery slope, right? It is. Yeah. And the Avion is an amazing travel card. Yes. I will do a quick plug for the Ion Plus, please. which from like a rewards credit card is, is fabulous, but even better if you're an RBC student bank account holder, if you have the Advantage banking account for students, then that the fee that is waived, is waived yep. which is pretty awesome. So it's kind of like a, a, a combo there. It's funny though, talking about like how it's, it's still your money, you still need to pay it off and everything like that. And I'm, I'm, I'm going back a few years, but speaking about being you know, dork when it comes to finances as well. I have a number of, of younger cousins and I had a, a financial planning night at my house and I like put a 
took off a piece of art off the wall and like projected onto my wall. And we like went through all this stuff with my cousins. And I had one cousin, I remember so well, her saying, well, like, I, I keep a balance on my credit card, but I, I have this money sitting in my e-savings account. She's like, cause I like, I like seeing it there. Like I like seeing the, the balance in my savings. I'm like, do you realize you are paying whatever, like 19.99% interest on your credit card? You need to pay that off. And it was kind of, I just did the math. And, <laughs> and so taking a step back and sort of understanding, like if I don't pay this off, what am I actually paying in interest? Um, or how long is it going to take me to pay it off? Can sometimes put perspective around like, do you really need that new whatever? Yeah. yeah. I, I I mean, I just, I think it's so hardwired into me that like, it's my money. Like I don't like, I can't even like understand the concept of like, I don't have enough money. So I'm just, oh, just going to put it on my credit card. I'll figure yes. it out later. I think it's just like, you really got to get in that habit of like, it's as good as cash to you. If you can't make, if you can't make the purchase now, if you couldn't pay it off in cash now or in a month, mm -hmm. just, you, you can't make the purchase. Absolutely. And I think that gets lost. It's, it's, it's almost like, no, no, no. Like your credit card is an extra leash that you get when you, when you can't afford it. Yeah. It's just, you can't afford it. That's And that's okay. That's okay. But you kind of just need to reel it in. And I, and I think, I think it's super important for institutions to also educate their clients around that. Absolutely. And, and I, I definitely have noticed that RBC in particular has done a, a great job in terms of like making sure that they're on you having things like automatic credit card payments. Um, yes. You know, you could just call the bank and say, Hey, you know, automatically take out my money. Like all my credit cards, I automatically pay them off. Right. I don't even need to think, Oh, I don't, I forgot to pay. No, I don't. No. They just pull it. Right. The only thing you need to make sure is that you have enough cash in the bank yes. and then you're done. You're not going to get overdrawn. As long as you, you do that and you manage your cash flow, everything like that, it, it'll just come out. It's this beautiful, nice system. So I definitely encourage people to do that. Yeah. And at the very least, at the very least, if you don't want to set that up because you want to have some control, mm -hmm. set up that at least the minimum amount of is course, paid. At the very at least. At the very yeah. least. Yeah. And then at least you will not get dinged for being late. late. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. You'll still get charge the interest on yeah. whatever you don't pay off in time, but at least you won't get dinged. For <laughs> at least you won't get dinged. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. One last, if there's like one thing you could say to a young Canadian, <laughs> like, and, and you could just like set them, like, what is your, like your one piece of like, like advice or tips or anything like that? Mm, I'd say stay curious. Yeah. Stay curious and, and challenge and be, you know, open and interested and interesting and and just you know keep asking questions and yeah i mean i think i think the future is really bright and i think it's easy to fall into kind of traps of negativity especially right now and there's a lot of of reasons for that right. but i think kind of trying to maintain that that glass half full and and looking for opportunities for that continued positivity and curiosity and i think that's that's what we need. Yeah. Cool. Jody, thank you so so much for your Thanks, time. Man. I I really really appreciated it. Thank you.